Our scripture today is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Don't think that I came to abolish the laws or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter nor one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I want you to imagine that uh, you're in class, or that we're in class. We're no longer in the sanctuary at Cornerstone, we're in class at school, and uh, our regular teacher isn't there, so a substitute has come in. And of course, everyone loves when a substitute teacher comes in. And so, you you know, we're starting to goof off, because isn't that what substitute teachers are for? But this teacher ignores our rising rabble and walks up to the board and he writes on the board his name. And his name is Mr. Christ. M-R-C-H-R-I-S-T. And we're all like, that's a bit of a funny name. Then he turns to us as we're sat at our desks and Mr. Christ, he says this, his lesson starts, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, if you're like me and you're not a scientist and school chemistry is a long-distant memory, then it's good to be reminded that salt's makeup is sodium chloride, N-A-C-L. And Wikipedia, among other sources, tells me that sodium chloride is extremely stable and cannot lose its flavor. So here's the thing. Either Mr. Christ forgot to gen up on his chemistry before teaching this class, or he's making a point. Either way, Mr. Christ now has our attention. After his lesson on the chemistry of salt, Mr. Christ, whose first name is Jesus, then says he's moving on to physics, talking about the properties of light, after which there's a history lesson, and finally he'll end up with a bit of sociology. So you realize that he's planning to cover a lot in this one class. And what I'm hoping is by the end of this class that we will see how the chemistry of salt and the physics of light are connected with the history of the law and the prophets and ultimately with the sociology of the church, which includes you and I, if we're in Christ. 
Now, this passage continues straight on from uh, last week's section on the Beatitudes, also known as the Blessed Bees. And if you remember, we talked about how the blessed life, the happy life, starts with spiritual poverty, not with body positivity, but with spiritual, po- spiritual poverty. And it ends with being ready to be persecuted, being ready to lay down your life for Christ. But, you know, the good news of, of Jesus is that right from the get-go, to the one who realizes that their spirit is poor, you've only just started on that journey. As soon as you realize that your spirit is poor, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Now, with uh, chemistry and physics and history and sociology ahead of us, we'd better get moving. Class is in session. First is the chemistry. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Matthew 5, 13. Like I already said, sodium chloride does not break down. It's stable. In other words, it does not lose its taste. Salt does not lose its taste. So there's a couple of options how to read this. First, Mr. Christ or Jesus might be referring to something called gypsum, which looks like salt, but it's not salt. You see, in the olden days, what they would do is they take salt from the shores of the Dead Sea to use for flavoring food or preserving food. And in the process of collecting the salt, they'd also accidentally collect gypsum, um, which looks like salt, but is actually flavorless. If this is the case, then maybe Jesus is warning his classroom of disciples against appearing to be salty, but in fact turning out to be nothing more than gypsum. In other words, don't be fake, be the real thing. That's one way to understand this. Another way to interpret these words is if Jesus is actually pointing out the absurdity of the idea of salt losing its flavor, as in, it's never going to happen. If the salt should lose its taste, then it's thrown out. So maybe at this point, Jesus is actually throwing in a bit of absurdity, a bit of humor here, because salt losing its flavor, because it's so stable, is a scientific impossibility. Now, I looked up on Quora, which is a website where you can go to ask questions and I and I looked up there what are some things that are considered scientific impossibilities and here are some examples from a guy called Rookie now I'm not a scientist so I can't verify these but this is what Rookie said some examples of scientific impossibilities include to predict the position and the momentum of an electron simultaneously that's a scientific impossibility I guess you can do either one or the other but you can't do both number two to attain absolute zero temperature, you know, zero degrees Kelvin. That's a scientific impossibility. I know we felt that maybe we achieved that over the past week, but absolute zero is an impossibility. And the third one that uh, Rookie mentions is to travel faster than the speed of light. Now, he had others, but I didn't understand them, so I didn't want to make myself look like an idiot this morning. Now, there's this other guy on Quora, uh, James Maynard, who gives his version of a scientific impossibility. And James Maynard says this, creating matter or energy out of nothing or making it completely disappear seems to be the best candidate for something which is scientifically impossible. So to update Jesus's words, maybe uh, using what James says here, is 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 that we might say this, you are the energy and matter of the universe. But if the energy and the matter should completely vanish, it's useless. 
it does no one any good. And if this is what Jesus is getting at, then, then that, that usually uh, salt or, or that unsalty salt is a scientific impossibility, then the message of this chemistry lesson seems to be that you are the salt of the earth. Start acting like it. Start bringing flavor into my kingdom. This is who you are. You cannot lose who you are, so start acting like it. Because here's, here, here's the only way that salt cannot flavor a meal, and that is if it's not applied to it. Right? If the salt stays over there in the salt shaker and it's not shaken over the chips, then the chips are going to stay forever bland, even though the salt is technically there on the table with them. And so the job of the follower of Jesus is to shake themselves over the world and to bring out the Christ flavors all around them. That was the chemistry lesson. Now let's move on to physics. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So Mr. Christ, substitute teacher, asks the class, what is light? So think about it. What is light? Any suggestions of what light is? You can speak out nice and loud if you think you know or, or you have a way of explaining what is light. What is light? Absence of darkness. Absence of darkness. Okay, awesome. Any other suggestions? You're the star pupil at the moment, Diane. Yeah. Radiation of energy. Radiation of energy. Okay, awesome. Oh, okay, kindness. Okay, so, yeah. Moving away from the science to how it's applied, yeah. So we've got absence of darkness. We've got radiation of energy. We've got kindness. Anyone else? I see Kai's absolutely bursting to speak. You got nothing, okay. You just looked eager, which is good. You know, always look eager if you're in class. Anyone else before we uh, look at an, uh, a definition? Yes, these lights on the ceiling. Yeah. Okay, so the lights are attached yeah, to the ceiling. Yeah, awesome. Love it. To help you see the dirt. Yes. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, well, if, well, again, Wikipedia, you, you are my Wikipedia this morning, but if we're to look at Wikipedia itself, they say, Wikipedia says this, and it's, and it's probably quite close to what Sean said, light or visible light is electromagnetic radiation that can be perceived by the human eye. Light is electromagnetic radiation that can be perceived by the human eye. Now, if you look at this picture... As you can see, there is a lot of electromagnetic radiation. There's a lot of the, of the electromagnetic spectrum that is invisible to the human eye. So way out here, you have radio waves, and it goes to microwaves, and to infrared, to ultraviolet, to x-rays, and then over to gamma rays. And here, this just tiny little sliver in the middle is, is the visible electromagnetic spectrum, which is light. And, and what this shows us is that whether we can see them or not, these are operational all the time. 
but they're invisible. You, you need special equipment to see them. But light, which is the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum, is the only part that we can see. And in a sense, God's kingdom is like the whole spectrum, right? God's kingdom is everything. God's kingdom is the gamma rays and the x-rays. It's everything. Is the ultraviolet light. He's working in so many different ways, in so many different places, beyond our imagination and sometimes even beyond our theological constraints. God is working in ways that are invisible and often maybe undetectable. In fact, one of next week's lectionary scriptures, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, says this, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and no human heart has even conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. This is the invisible electromagnetic spectrum. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And what this verse kind of says is that, in a way, God takes the invisible parts of the entire spectrum and he makes them visible to us as light through the Holy Spirit and then it's our job to shine this light into a dark world like our passage says you are the light of the world first Jesus says I am the light of the world and then he says you are the light of the world you are the rainbow colors you are the visible light representing the full glory of the mystery and the invisibility of God. Isn't that incredible? This is what you are, class. And the thing is, is that the un- unregenerate heart cannot see God. Without the eyes of faith, we cannot see God. But if you've been transformed by Jesus, then your job is to make him seen. You are the light of the world, even in your soul poverty, like we talked about last week. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, and you shine the glorious, viewable, and visible colors of this invisible kingdom to anyone who is paying attention. That's the physics lesson done. Now for a bit of history. Verse 17. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Okay, now this kind of feels like a bit of a break in Jesus' teaching flow, what's known as a non sequitur, but it's not. It makes sense, okay? And to work that out, all we have to look at is the larger flow of of what we've experienced. You see, at the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus paints this spectrum of blessing, also known as the Beatitudes. And the blessing started and ended with, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So earth is being painted as a realm under enemy rule and Jesus is re-establishing his realm. And so here Jesus is clearly talking because we can see the context of chapter 5. Jesus is talking about kingdom living, the kingdom of heaven. And then we see just how this realm or this kingdom expands. What are the mechanics for the expanding of this kingdom? And it's through the subjects of Jesus Christ, through the citizens of Jesus' kingdom, by living out their nature of salt, by being salty, and by living out their nature of light, by being luminescent. This is how the kingdom expands. And so these next few verses are Jesus' way of saying that until the kingdom comes in full, until salt is shaken over the whole earth and until the entire universe glows with his light, the law and the prophets still have value. 
They still apply. They aren't just ancient history. They actually form the constitution of God's kingdom. You see, folks today tend to split the Bible into two. You know, you have the Old Testament, which is the law and the prophets. And then you have the New Testament, which is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the spread of the church. And we can be tempted to throw away the old stuff. But Jesus says, let's let's not throw away the baby with the bathwater. And this actually takes us on to our sociology part of our lesson. Well, Jesus was on earth. He kept the law and the prophets absolutely perfectly, right? He lived out uh, God's rules without breaking one of them. Uh, He kept all of the Ten Commandments. He kept all of the Torah. And because Jesus kept the Ten Commandments and the Torah, we don't have to. Law-keeping is not the way into the kingdom. You know, the way into the kingdom, as we learned last week, is to start by admitting that you're so poor, that you have nothing, that, that, that you are, that you are a, a pauper, that, that you, you are in, in the midst of soul poverty. But then once we're in the kingdom, once we enter in, into the kingdom through soul poverty, we then live out the Ten Commandments in obedience to Christ, right? And the logic is this, is that if the king chooses to live this way, then so do his subjects. Once again, keeping the law does not save us. It's only grace through faith. But then the law is the constitution that we come under while we wait for the kingdom to come in full, while we're in that um, kind of in-between times. While we're waiting between Jesus' first coming and second coming, the law is the is the constitution that we come under, which is why Jesus says this in verse 18. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished, Matthew 5.18. Then once heaven and earth pass away, then the law will pass away because we won't need the law because our natures will be completely renewed. But until then, the law and the prophets help us to remember what is what while we're still fighting with the old nature and our desire to do things the old way. So the history that Jesus lived out the law and the prophets now becomes our sociology. It's the foundation of the, of the society of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And I think this first part is kind of telling us, you know, there's a lot of revision happening in the church at the moment. And some of it's good and some of it is um, should should maybe give us pause for thought and and concern and why we have to be cautious about about what we acknowledge and what we accept and what is now considered okay is that here it says that whoever breaks one of these commandments and teaches others others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven interestingly it looks like this isn't a salvation issue okay so we can have divergent views on a number of things but we have to be careful what we are, what we are preaching and what we're accepting because um, we will be held accountable. And me as a pastor, I, I will be held accountable uh, more so than many. 
Now, in the sociology part of this lesson, there's a lot that I could say. We could revisit the Torah. We could look at the first five books of the Bible. We could ask of every single rule which is in the Torah, does this apply now? And if it does, should it apply literally? Or should it be more of an in-spirit application? Now, we won't do that, but Jesus knows that we have a tendency towards being Pharisees, right? Meaning, we don't know how to navigate this, so let's make a bunch of rules so we don't screw up, right? That's kind of what the Pharisees did, and he knows that we have that tendency in our lives. In fact, the Pharisees created over 600 rules to make sure that they didn't break the Ten Commandments, right? And I think at the beginning, probably the Pharisees' intentions were good, but by Jesus' time, the life of the Pharisee was a whole load of legalism that they then tried to foist onto other people. If you want to be a good Jew, then you have to do this, that, or the other. And it just robbed the joy and sucked the soul out of everyone. And Jesus knew this, which is why towards the end of Matthew, chapter 22, Jesus tells us what it's actually like to fulfill the law and the prophets. He doesn't leave it up to our imagination. And this is important because if the law and the prophets are the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, then we need to get it right. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22 and as Jesus tells us how to live out the law and the prophets. It says this, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command is the law which command in the law is the greatest? He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Then what does he say? He says this, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And praise be to Jesus that he loved the Lord, his God, with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And on the cross, Jesus proved that he loved his neighbor as himself. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. He didn't abolish them. He fulfilled them. He perfectly kept them because he knew that we couldn't. And then he invites us, fueled by the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father, to live out the sociology of the kingdom of heaven on the kingdom of earth. He invites us to start creating a brand new society in the place where we live, built on the foundation of complete love for him and complete love for each other. And this is how we become the salt of the earth and this is how we become the light of the world this is how we make the invisible god visible now as we wrap up this morning i want to revisit this idea of light that light is the visible part of the invisible electromagnetic spectrum and to do this i want us to imagine that we live in a first century ancient near east house there's no electricity, but you have a candle and it's placed quite high in the house so that it can shine light over as much of the house as it's able to, which would most likely have been one or two rooms. And this is what verse 15 is, is talking about. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. Now, these... Candles are high up and they're kind of shining into the house, but they're also shining out of the house through the windows. Now, 
Imagine that there's a street of houses with candles in the windows. Okay, can you imagine that? Now imagine a subdivision of streets of houses with candles in the windows. Now imagine a city of subdivisions of streets of houses with candles placed high in the house in the windows. And it might start to look like a Coldplay concert with everyone with their phones on or if you're old enough with your lighters, right? It looks something like that. It's an impressive sight. And verse 14 of our passage says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden, as you can see. Okay, so imagine now that you're in first century Palestine and you're traveling home towards Jerusalem and you're exhausted. It's been a long journey. It's nighttime. And then you crest one of the surrounding hills and you see this glorious city made up of subdivisions and streets and houses with candles you cannot miss it it cannot be hidden it cannot be hidden but now imagine if you crest that same hill and you're expecting to see the thousands of pinpricks of light to welcome you home but this time all you see are black shadows not one light you you can barely even make out the shape of the rise on which Jerusalem is situated. And you can't see hardly anything. It's vague, it's dark, it's like a big lump of darkness. And you might say, to all intents and purposes, that city on a hill is now hidden. You're starving for what Jerusalem has to offer, that light, but all you see is blackness. And then you start to feel anxious or uncertain. Is there anyone home? Are you welcomed? Maybe you came at a bad time. You wonder whether you should carry on to Jerusalem or maybe you should turn around and go back the way that you came. So the question class is, what did it take for that city that cannot be hidden in verse 14 to become a city that is hidden? All it took was for each resident of that city to do the unthinkable, to hide their lamp under a basket. And when they hide their lamp under a basket, they lose their glow. But that's rather silly. You know, you think people don't hide their lamps under a basket. Are you sure? Are you sure that this isn't true of you? You know, let's say that someone does hide their candle under a basket. Now, in spite or other than the obvious fire hazard, what else might happen? Well, if that lamp... If that candle is hidden under a basket, then eventually it's starved of oxygen and the candle goes out. Or to use the language of physics, that small part, that small visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum has become invisible, which means that the whole thing is now invisible to the naked eye. You can see nothing of the electromagnetic spectrum. If we're not shining, if we're not glowing, if we turn out our lights, then vast spectrums of the, of the kingdom of heaven is now impossible for people outside of the kingdom to see. But thankfully, as our text says, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? Why cannot a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden? The next verse explains, because no one hides a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. 
And Jesus is saying that people aren't stupid enough to light a lamp and immediately hide it, right? If you do that, then you may as well not light the lamp in the first place. But Jesus says to us, and he says to his disciples, he says, your candle is lit. Okay, you are the light of the world. In other words, when you're part of God's family, when you've knelt and repented at the foot of the cross and experienced redemption and justification and forgiveness of sins, when you've been given new life, when you've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, something happens to you on a molecular spiritual level and you start to glow. And to mix our metaphors, you also start to become salty. You start to make the world around you taste good. In chemistry, salt or sodium chloride cannot lose its saltiness. The only way it can lose its taste is if it stays in the salt shaker because there's no one to taste it. Same as, right, if a tree falls in the forest, there's no one to see it, you know, Uh, or no one to hear it has it made a sound right this is kind of what we're seeing here and in physics the electromagnetic spectrum is always there but if that light is turned off then the whole spectrum is now rendered invisible because the visible part is unseeable so what does it take for us to be to shine and to be salty verse 16 tells us in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works This is the key, and give glory to your Father in heaven. See your good works. See your good works. Good works is the light shining. Positive actions done in a selfless way reveals the goodness of God, and it brings him glory. And I know, and I've experienced over this past week, that many of you are doing this. This week, I've witnessed good works. I've witnessed people coming to me and asking how they can help others. I've seen generosity. I've seen kindness. I've been the messenger boy for a number of you. I've seen people going out of their way. I've seen the light that you guys are shining. And because of your visible light, I can glorify the Father who is in heaven. But I know that some of you are holding back because you're afraid of standing out. Or making someone else feel awkward. No one wants, especially Canadians, no one wants to make a Canadian feel awkward. But could you put that aside? And could you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven? After all, it's not about you, right? It's about Him. So this week, I encourage you to ask God for an opportunity to shake yourself out of the salt shaker, to bring the flavor of life to someone else's life and to let your, your light shine, to do something simple or maybe even something really, really profound, something unexpected, something sacrificial for someone to let them know that God loves them. Because the only way for them to experience the full spectrum of the invisible mystery of, of our good God is through your visible light. It might not make sense, but do it anyways. Make the invisible God visible.